Cardi gets on the ball, sends across in. Dangerous position. Hani Mukhtar to Sapong, and it's in. CJ Sapong. It only took him four minutes. Well, Nashville is unbeaten in seven matches dating back to last season after a 1-1 draw in Minnesota. You heard the call of CJ Sapong's fifth-minute goal, courtesy of Will Bowling on iHeartRadio. Yes, that's my brother. Uh, thanks to iHeartRadio and Nashville SC for that footage. Thanks to Moon Taxi for the music. And thanks to a new sponsor we're going to tell you more about in just a minute, ML Rose. Can't wait to give you all the info about our new title sponsor. A strong road point means Nashville is fourth in the West heading into a trip to Dallas in match three of an eight-match road trip. And we're here to break it all down. I am Nashville SC Radio Voice West Bowling. And I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor and writer of ClubCountryUSA.com. Fresh off the road from St. Paul, Minnesota, as uh, <laughs> Tim is back and ready to talk about his experience there. This is the Club and Country podcast, of course, the podcast of record for anyone who wants to follow the club from the perspectives of two people who've covered it longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I, I've, that elevator pitch gets longer every time I say it. I feel like I'm adding <laughs> keep going, words keep going. Stumbling all over it. It's going to be um, the war and peace of podcast interest. It is indeed. Chapter upon chapter. CJ Sapong elevated Nashville SC against Minnesota early on. Fifth minute goal. Uh, and then Nashville just hung on in the muck and mire in a pretty back-and-forth match early on that became KG and a little little nasty later on. They earned a result in Minnesota despite conceding in the 71st minute. We're going to dive deep into it today, but first, Tim, we are thrilled to introduce a new title sponsor. Yeah, Emil Rose is a place that you and I both have you know come to really appreciate and I think appreciated basically since, since day one that I moved to Nashville, day one for you since they, they opened. And we're really excited that they believe in what we're doing and that they believe in in Nashville SC and soccer in this city in a way that is, uh, has encouraged them to work with us. Really excited to work with ML Rose. It's a it's pretty poorly kept secret, I would say, that we've been ready, getting ready to partner with them. After all, we've hosted watch parties there the first two weeks of the season and gotten some awesome crowds uh, at those, by the way. And shout out to the Heaters and Eastern Front for, for co-hosting those watch parties with us. Those are going to continue. Uh, eight road matches, eight chances to go uh, to go party with uh, with 440 Sports. Uh, Tim and I, Tim, as you mentioned, we've both been, been longtime ML Rose customers. Uh, they're tremendous locally owned restaurant. Four locations, including the one one that, that I fell in love with a decade ago, right about the time I was falling in love with my wife, actually. We went on a lot of dates there uh, on 8th Avenue, just a five-minute drive from the new stadium. So, so, Tim, great burgers, tremendous ambiance, convenience to the new stadium, and, and most importantly to you and I and to many of our listeners, a large, diverse, and locally driven craft beer list. Absolutely. When I first moved to Nashville, as I mentioned, that's when I first uh, kind of became acquainted with ML Rose. My first uh, location was the one in Sylvan Park, or I, th- I would consider it technically in the best and most important neighborhood in Nashville, the nations, but we won't get into that. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's a place that um, I've spent a lot of time at over over the years. And uh, a big part of that is that craft beer list. I'll, I am not ashamed to admit um, a great place that we've really enjoyed. Um, also the food, uh, you mentioned that it's, that it's great food, but I I've had more Carolina sweets waffle fries than I would care mm. to admit in my life. They're amazing. God, those are good. Those are good. I'm more of a traditional loaded waffle fry guy. Um, but I went actually, <laughs> uh, what, two weeks ago now? I went to the one down the street as we were we were neighbors there for a bit. So I, I'm also really close to that Charlotte Avenue location. And, uh, I got the animal fries, uh, which was interesting. It's a special sauce, and it's got all the stuff that would go on like a, a really good burger, but it's on the fries instead. Strong choice. Um, I downed it by myself. 
you can split them. You probably should split them, but I went for the jugular. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I'm looking for a bar I'm going to like. I really want three things, and I, I don't think many of us are a whole lot different here, but just to, just to put it on paper. Number one, cuisine that goes beyond just bar food. I don't want something I could have microwaved myself. That's that's no good. I want something that's, that's going to be elevated. They do that. Uh, good sight lines to multiple TVs. There are TVs everywhere. Uh, beer list also that's diverse enough to fit my mood. I don't. I don't really have a favorite beer. Like I've got a couple go tos that I might favor over the rest, and they're on the menu by the way. ML Rose, but but I don't always know what I'm gonna want when I walk in the door. And ML Rose has all three of those things. They've got kind of elevated burgers and wings and that stuff. Gastro pub type offerings that are high quality without being snobby or weird. Uh, tons of TVs and a beer list that's the same size as the food menu. A multiple page beer list. Uh, that's the way to our heart. So be sure to visit their 8th Avenue location either for our weekly NSC watch parties or, you know, you're going to want to scout out your, your pregame and postgame spots before that home match uh, comes on May 1st. And uh, So check it out. Tell us what you think and then tell them that we sent you. ML Rose, we are excited to partner with them. All right, let's get into the show now. The early shout will feature an early goal, a late controversy, and surprise Tim, a weather delay in a Nashville SC match. Who would have thought? Yeah, I would never, man, right? It would happen, of course, when we're about to, to follow the team down to FC Dallas and, and get scarred oh, by the memory I, of that. that yeah. And, and uh, shout out to, I believe, it, I believe it was the Heaters who mentioned that they missed Alistair Johnston's weather reports during the lightning delay on Saturday evening because that, that FC Dallas first road trip in Nashville SC uh, in the re- uh, resumption of the season back in, in 2020, uh, when he was giving the the lightning delay reports from Dallas, it, it was just not the same to have a weather delay without him. Yeah, Mike Jacobs has really put a foot wrong, but I'm disappointed he didn't include a term uh, in the contract for a meteorology loan <laughs> agreement. He plays for Montreal, that's fine, but Nashville could compensate him per forecast, perhaps? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they'll work on it. We'll see how many times a season it comes up. It, it might it might be worth the, worth its weight in GAM to, to make that sort of trade. I mean, given Nashville's track record, it's not going to be the last time, I would say. Uh, what did CJ Sapong, though, say about his fifth-minute goal? We're going to play his comments there and answer to Tim's question about, about that. Also, controversy, of course. A penalty shout for Heine Mukhtar late in the match. Gary Smith with some strong words. We'll tell you what we think. And speaking of matches delayed by storms, again, we'll preview that trip to Dallas this weekend. You are our guest this week. We asked for mailbag questions you sent us a deluge, not unlike the rain on the pitch <laughs> at Allianz Field, but hopefully the show will be smoother going than Nashville's attack on that muck and mire of a pitch in the second half. Uh, we talk about set-piece concerns defensively, an explanation of NSC's midfield tactics. Ake Lobo watch continues. Many of you watching anxiously to see when he's going to contribute in a substantive way. Um, and uh, we might be going against general consensus on that on that issue, by the way. So stay tuned for that. And then finally, outside in, what can we confidently say about Nashville's MLS competition after two weeks? There's not a lot, right? But what do we feel like we know two weeks into the season? And CCL takes center stage again this week. A busy show. So let's go to our early shout. 71 minutes gone. Reynoso chips it. Edge of the box. Amaria knocked off the post and in. Minnesota have the equalizer. Well, that was Minnesota's equalizer as called by Will Bowling on iHeartRadio. I was out of the country over the weekend, and it was great to have my brother Phil in. Did an awesome job on the Nashville SC call. CJ Sapong opened the scoring in the fifth minute, the goal you heard earlier. That was Hassani Dotson, though, equalizing in the 71st. And Tim, I really feel like this one came across to me 
like a deserved draw. Nashville hit the <laughs> first punch early on a beautiful ball in from Dax McCarty, but the Loons had enough sustained stretches of dominance and deserved something out of this match. Yeah, the lightning delay did not serve NSC well either. It was a fairly even slog up to that point, but the boys in gold looked like they were kind of intentionally making it that sort of even slog, mm-hmm. where as long as you don't score, we don't care if we score, essentially. Uh, but the halt in momentum and the decision um, not to reinsert Dax McCarty after more than an hour sitting in the locker room, which is something that makes a lot of sense uh, yeah. as somebody who's older than Dax, as, as we as we comment regularly, I cannot imagine running around for 54 minutes and then being asked to sit around for an hour and a half and then go run around a little bit more. But all those sorts of changes that happened largely because of the weather delay did prevent CJ Sapong's goal from standing up as the winner. And like you mentioned, over the course of, of all 90 minutes, it was a very even game and, and Minnesota probably deserved a draw out of it. But, you know, when Nashville scores that early, they're going to probably try and let it play out like an even game and hope that the the equalizer doesn't come. And unfortunately, in this one, it did. As someone who sat on the bench a lot in his brief athletic career. <laughs> you didn't was, have that first 54 minutes. You no, it was, it was, uh, but yeah, it was, it was really actually easy to get off the bench and, and move because I was just doing the post-match You're calisthenics. Fresh. That's it. I wasn't even getting into the game. So it was, it was simple. So, yes, no, I, can, I can't relate to Dax either in a very different way. Um, here is, by the way, how CJ Sapong explained his fifth-minute goal. CJ, what did you see as the goal play developed and, and kind of what is the, uh, I guess, what goes into the decision to continue making the run when it looks like the ball's going over you? Is it just because you realize that there's a second chance at it? Yeah, mostly um, I, I wanted the original ball from Dax, but ultimately as a forward, you want to, you know, keep keep moving towards the ball, keep putting yourself in a position to score, and Honey uh, did well to to keep the ball in. And after that, my job was easy; just put it into the into the net. It was good to see the attack click in that moment. A classic NSC goal: a long ball back post sent back into the mixer after about three guys went after it. You heard CJ say that that he actually wanted that ball. Anibal Godoy. I've never seen a man try harder to score a goal <laughs> come up just empty as he was lunging. He thought he was going to have his second in two matches. But Hani Mukhtar is able to send it back into the mixer. CJ Sapong uh, shakes the center backs, does what he does best. A big moment for him who scored just once in his last 13 matches in gold leading up to this contest. He's a guy who's really dependent on the players around him as a striker. He's a guy who's going to go out and, and get the goals that are created for him. He's not necessarily going to create a ton for himself. He can a little bit, but when you look at what happened late last year, Hani Mukhtar is your primary setup man. And when uh, Mukhtar is deciding that he's just going to go out and score a bunch of goals himself and finish runner up in the MVP race, you can't really fault Sapong for not um, putting up a lot of production to close out last year. I thought the Godoy run was pretty crucial to CJ's goal as well. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, he was he was really stretching for that header, but the fact that Minnesota wasn't expecting to deal with that many runners really allowed them to kind of uh, end up ignoring CJ, I guess. CJ lost his mark. He was pretty wide open. When I watched it live, it happened at the far end of the stadium. So I was like, oh, yeah, he kind of like outmuscled the defender. It's like, no, the defender just forgot he was there because yeah. he was distracted by Godoy, and that's something that – You didn't see a ton of last year because Nashville wasn't sending that many runners into the box on on a kind of generic ball from a settled half field offense. And that's something that I think you'll see a little bit more of this year and and potentially leading to the same sort of offensive production. And it looks like a fairly cohesive attack. I know two goals in two matches is not lighting up Major League Soccer. It's not an Austin situation, although Nashville. I feel, I feel we may be answering a question about this shortly. We might be. But but I want to point to the buildup leading to that. Because I think, you know, when we talk about bright, purposeful attacking play, and yes, we'll get to that exact comment in, in, in just a minute. But 
Anibal Godoy, the field-switching pass that he sent to Eric Miller to start the whole sequence. Then Miller went back to Dax. Dax sent the ball in. It was it was beautiful attacking soccer, beautiful build up, even though it wasn't classic Arsene Wenger Arsenal circa two thousand three. You know, it was it was, it was really a little more really a little more moist oriented. <laughs> say so, except it got a result. Um, <laughs> but there was controversy toward the end of the match. The eightieth minute, Hani Mukhtar was brought down from behind. Actually, Tim contacted twice on the play. Uh, but was not given a penalty. One of the most important decisions of the match for Armando Villarreal went against Hani and the boys in gold. And, and it was a night, Tim, where Mukhtar was the victim of a lot of contact. And and you asked Gary Smith about that. And, and let's hear the managers give his very, very candid answer that he was not pleased with the lack of attention given to Hani by the referee. Gary, not just the uh, couple of penalty shouts there that Hani had, but it seemed like he was taking a beating um, a lot in this game. What did you see about that? And did you kind of communicate with the officials at all about, you know, what you thought you were seeing out there? Well, the crazy thing is that when we have a lot of the competition stuff come around before the season, you know, the, the, the talented, creative players on every team are a bit of a target. You, you can understand that. But the league, understandably, are trying to clamp down on that, make, make life and I don't want to say easier for those players, but certainly make it harder for some of the more destructive elements to put them out of their stride. I would, I would hazard a guess that 75% of the time, if not more, that Hanny was manhandled or overpowered, that the referee deemed that he was actually instigating it or had tried to buy a foul. Now, we're back to interpretation again. The conditions were not good for anyone. It lent itself to hard working and, and, and determined players, but there were definitely moments for both of, of, of really what you would call the creative stars on the field. You know, Hanny had, had opportunities and really should have um, been given a moment to, to score from the penalty spot. And, and, you know, underline a, a very determined display from him. And, and likewise, Reynoso at the other end, you know, lots and lots of good things going on. But I, I'm just, I'm just flabbergasted at some of the decisions that are made. I really am. I'm, I, truly, you, you can't even begin to imagine how just mentally lost I am sitting here right now. So, Tim, you initially, I think, tweeted that you thought maybe Gary was mm-hmm. overreacting just a little bit because you were in the stadium. You weren't watching replay yeah, after and, replay. And shockingly, they did not show any replays on the video boards in there. I understood why. It's uh, usually an, an advantage to cover the match in person, but in moments like those when Nashville's on the road, definitely can, can create a, some difficulty. Uh, but on Sunday after rewatch, you thought he had a point, right? And Stooks be mm-hmm. hugging uh, seemed to agree. Be Welcome back, though. Stooks. Thanks again for the warm embrace. Uh, he says, on a scale to, to, of zero to Gary Smith, how upset should I be about the non-foul where Hani seemingly gets fouled twice in a matter of seconds in the box? It was pretty bad. Uh, Villarreal signaled to Nashville's players uh, at the next stoppage in play that that he had he had you know talked to VAR through his earpiece and and that video assistant had reviewed and determined that an on-field monitor review was not necessary. I mean, simply put, that's the wrong decision. And, and it was clear and, and very obvious. O'Neill Fisher kicks Mukhtar's left foot from behind, preventing him from getting a solid plant and actually 
clattering his legs into each other. And then he pinches Mukhtar's shooting foot between his calves on the ensuing step. Now, neither of those was necessarily intentional. He was not trying to foul Hani. The second one obviously is, is more kind of incidental contact, but it is contact on a player on the ball when you are not making a play on the ball within the box. That's, you know, as, as simple as it gets, that's a penalty. That that sort of contact, especially from behind on a guy who has you beat, that honestly, you know, I, I hate to, and I, I will not say that it was the reason that Nashville SC drew this game. They had plenty of opportunities that they probably should have made more of, all those sorts of things. But that is a, a refereeing decision that is, is it, under no circumstances, is that acceptable, I think. And, you know, Gary is typically, I mean, he's been candid before about, about yeah. officiating. He, he'll, he, he likes to say that he's not going to complain about the officials and then, and then does it a little bit to be but fair, he, but he can, I just did, I just rope. did that as well. So that's not a criticism. He can walk Gary. the tightrope though, between disappointment yeah. and outrage pretty well. Right. And I think yeah. he, he trended toward yeah. outrage. I was I, like I said, I, ha- I hadn't had uh, the opportunity to see a replay when I talked to him in the press conference and I was like stunned with how he was reacting. That I was like, yeah, it might have been a foul, but it was no big deal. And then I watched it again. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. this guy's got a point here. As my brother pointed out, David Luiz earned a red card for Arsenal doing the exact same thing. But again, that's Arsenal. And, you know, the, <laughs> the, the kit color often matches the card color. It's the way things go. Uh, so let's get into our gold nuggets now and tell you the story of another road result. The fifth straight road win or draw for Nashville SC. And ninth in 10 matches dating back to last year. And again, we're counting Philly. Uh, the playoff loss as a draw because it went to penalty, so it is officially a draw. So, uh, so nine in ten matches for the boys in gold away from home. And when Nashville scores first on the road in MLS, it is now eight three and two. That's ten results in thirteen matches when it gets on the board first. Tim, you were there as we mentioned. What did the early goal do to that Minnesota crowd? I have to hand it to the Wonder Wall a bit, honestly. The steam didn't really come out of their sails at that point. It didn't really come out of their sails until the uh, seemingly interminable lightning delay. And even then, it was like only the second time that the lightning delay was extended that they really started to take off. And um, take off, they did. Honestly, the, the, when the stadium refilled, that section probably only refilled about two-thirds or maybe a half. But that section is directly next to the press box, and the press box door was open. It was not that cold, honestly. It was probably 40 at kickoff, so... Um, you know, it did not bother me, even though I was sitting directly next to the, the door out, mm-hmm. out to the front. But they, they were raucous. They were excited the whole time. And, you know, you usually would expect an early goal to kind of take the wind out of their sails. But it really didn't. And it was a solid group all evening, if uh, a slightly sparser one towards the end of the match. I couldn't tell as I was rewatching the TV broadcast. I thought maybe I picked up some Let's Go Jamie chants a couple times for, for former Loon I think, Jamie Watson. I think, they say, I think they say dives like Jamie or something like that, which... Given, given what Armando Villarreal thought of Mukhtar's performance, that might have been what they were talking about. Oh, no. Sorry, Jamie. Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> uh, gold nugget number two, the MLS unit. That, of course, Mukhtar, Leal, Sapong, three attackers for Nashville, combined for nine of Nashville's 12 shots, which is about the ratio you would hope and expect for, 75% from your three attackers. But that's up from just four shots against Seattle of the 10 that Nashville took. Uh, for spells, Tim, it really did look like that attacking trio was starting to find some rhythm in chemistry. We'll talk about the specific tactics a little bit later. We have a couple questions about that in the mailbag, but I, I think the intention is clear, especially with those three guys. It's, it's give Leal and Mukhtar as much space as possible to operate and let Sapong try to use his strength and this, the intelligence of his movement to try and control the central defenders and, and give those other two guys their space. I was pretty surprised with how much space they often had, especially to get out on the break. 
Um, both goalkeepers were largely playing long, as you would expect in those conditions. And Nashville was winning a lot of second balls and kind of being able to bang to one of those front three. And the other two were right there. Um, unfortunately, it was not a night where those passes, you know, with that second pass to the guy who was kind of the hold up player passing it to the guy running in behind was not quite precise as the ball was moving slowly on that turf. But mm -hmm. it was a, a situation where Nashville's tactical setup was very good in terms of letting those three guys get into space and, and do their thing. And the interplay in particular, right before the half in the sequence that that started with Leal hitting the post and then finished mm -hmm. with him missing near, uh, you know, high high left of the net, was encouraging to me. It was it was quick passing. It was getting central midfielders involved. I think Anibal and, and Sean Davis both were good in that particular situation. And uh, encouraging to see those guys join the attack. This is not the Nashville SC that uh, is stereotyped for all of them throughout the league is sitting back 11 behind the ball on the road for 90 minutes. Uh, that's that's definitely not what we saw. Yeah, and, and, and there wasn't quite as much pressing as there had been against Seattle because Minnesota is a team that plays a very different way. But this mm -hmm. team is still pressing high up the pitch in a way that you didn't see before. And that's a way to help them create offensive opportunities without having to have maybe some of the, the precision that you would need on a, on a maybe a night or night on the field. Sure. Meanwhile, Minnesota remains winless in four home openers at Allianz Field. Maybe, Tim, just maybe, mud pits don't make for decisive results. And like I mentioned, that's one of the reasons that Nashville's counters didn't really work out as well. That ball over the top or into space was there, but the second pass slowed down, you know, caught a little puddle, especially in the second half there when uh, the the entire center of the field was like a stripe of like inch thick water. But um, one thing that I noticed that was weird, I don't know if, if it was just a weird thing, but the teams actually switched ends before the opening kick. They were like both almost set up to go to the opposite end that they ended up defending. And I wasn't sure if it was uh, after the coin toss, Minnesota saw what the field conditions were going to look like on that end uh, after the rain continued and then decided to switch. But um, certainly it was it was that sort of situation where a mud pit did not play necessarily to either team's advantage. Well, Nashville SC hoping for smoother turf in the Metroplex. Headed down to Dallas now to take on FC Dallas. Quickly give you a few things you should know about Nashville's next opponent, Dallas the Western Conference team Nashville's played more than any other. They played, by my count, what, 27 times that first season? Yes, 28? that's correct. Something like that. Uh, as both teams missed MLS's back, and so they made those games up against yeah. each other. And boy, and boy, was MLS ever back between those two to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> was it ever. Uh, rain delay MLS, uh, KG defensive draw MLS, and David Akam counterattack for the first club's first ever win MLS. Uh Dallas this year winless in two matches, most recently a 1-0 loss in New England after a, a Carlos Heel penalty. No shame in that result. The other result, a 1-1 draw with a rebuilding Toronto team. Uh, looking back at what they did last year at home, they were actually the second worst home team in the West last year, ahead of only San Jose, uh, who is at the bottom of a lot of lists. Uh, thin margins, though, for this team. Of their last 12 matches decided by one goal, Dallas is 3-9. and nine. So kind of an anti-Nashville in that way. When the, when the mm -hmm. matches are close, uh, they're not able to deliver, or maybe they're good enough to keep a lot of those matches close, but just not good enough to get over the top, especially defensively. Uh, but some big personnel changes in the offseason uh, were made to try to turn those losses into wins and turn transfer dollars into success on the pitch. This is a club whose academy has developed Weston McKinney. Uh, they've developed now Ricardo Pepe. The list is much bigger than that, but those are, of course, the names that are most recent on everyone's minds. They've, they've rarely been able to turn that into reinvestment in the club, but they've committed to doing that this year. 
Um, and so when they transferred Ricardo Pepe for as much as $20 million out to um, Augsburg, they were able to convert some of that into GAM. Uh, they then set an MLS record with the trade uh, of $2 million GAM to DC for Paul Ariola. They brought in Alan Velasco, a strong wing DP, um, early in my match prep for this one. But but that's the <laughs> basic uh, the basic info about FC Dallas, a group that is poised to try to take a step forward. has always been seen kind of, though, Tim, as a mid-table club, at least in recent history. One of the things that they've done is is kind of spoil having one of the best academies in MLS by making really bad decisions on their high dollar players, bringing in DPs who have simply not worked out. So they've decided, hey, we're not we're not going to doom our academy by bringing in bad DPs. We're going to turn one of our academy products into a designated player. And they did that with Jesus Ferreira. Obviously, his dad, David Ferreira, the Colombian international, was an incredible player for this club as well. But nonetheless, um, you know, when you take a guy who came up in your academy and turn him into a designated player, that is a vote of confidence, not just in Jesus Ferreira, but in your academy. I, I think he's, uh, I couldn't find another one. He's only the second player who was an, initially a homegrown player to turn into a DP. And, and Jossie Zardes, the other one, did it by being traded from LA Galaxy, which developed him, and being traded to Columbus Crew, which made him a DP. So that's the situation that Jesus Ferreira is a first in that regard. But um, when you look at kind of the bigger picture, too, this is a team that fired a well-liked coach this offseason, Luchi Gonzalez. He's a guy that players liked, that fans liked, that even I think management liked. The management just didn't really necessarily like the results. The problem is they didn't also give Nico Estevez a whole lot of personnel change to, to make for a better foundation upon which to build results than they gave to Luchi Gonzalez. So it's good. It's probably going to be a tough slog for him. And I hope they give him more chance because I like Luchi, who I think is an incredible guy and a very good coach and, and probably got short shrift by FC Dallas. I think there's a risk that Nico Estevez gets the same gets the same treatment if if things don't turn around and he's going to have to kind of work wonders unless FC Dallas is going to continue to invest like they did with a guy like Ariola like they did in in elevating Jesus Ferreira that those are the sorts of moves that um, you might look at if if say a Cincinnati elevated an academy player and say okay well mm-hmm. this is because they just are looking for ways to waste their money <laughs> uh, when Dallas does it it's probably going to be a good player but it is a sign that they aren't going externally to try and find those top end players so it's a it's a situation that might not make life easier for Estevez and we'll have to see if he's able to do what Lucci couldn't and, and turn this thing around of the remaining matches on Nashville SC's uh, now six-game road swing before they, they come home May 1st, Dallas and San Jose look to me to be the two that Nashville can pinpoint and say, look, you're never going to scoff at a, at a point on the road, but these are, are good three-point opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Dallas, like you mentioned, Dallas was a very poor home team last year, uh, and I think San Jose is is – traditionally pretty poor at home as well and, and pretty poor in terms of um, preventing, you know, five goals being put on their face with some regularity. <laughs> uh, I, you know, like we've mentioned ad nauseum, basically by this point, no game on the road, especially when you have to go on long road trips as San Jose will be slightly more so than Dallas, obviously, but especially when you have to go on long road trips, none of these things are layups. And for Nashville to have taken a win at, at Seattle might've changed the expectations a little bit, but those expectations should remain realistic. And, and this club needs to get some results over these re- next six games. And these are clearly the two that make the most sense to get it, I'd say. We've got an absolutely loaded mailbag. But before we get to that, uh, we want to tell you a little more about ML Rose, our, our new sponsor as Club Country Podcast is brought to you now by ML Rose. We would not have ever signed on for a sponsor that didn't add value to your lives or to your soccer watching experience. And in this case... Um, I'll, I'll tell my ML Rose story. Quite honestly, Tim, it's added value to both of those things for me. Uh, not, not just 
great food and a great place to hang out and watch sports, which MLROs has been for me for more than a decade now. But also it's added value to my actual life, as I referenced earlier on the show. Uh, <laughs> you know, my my wife and I were part of a somewhat mediocre uh, but but scrappy trivia team. Uh, we, we went to trivia every uh, it was Wednesday nights back in the day at that 8th Avenue location at Emerald Rose. It's been a decade now since we since we first were, were going on those early dates. And it was a chance, number one, to, to bond a little bit with her and her friends, but also for her to prove how much smarter than she is than me, which she still seeks to prove difficult. every day. It's yeah. not it's not a high bar, <laughs> not a high bar. And she clears it. Um, she clears it like Suni Lee. Um, but it, it's a great place because of that com- sense of community and ambiance. And and if you've been to the, the watch parties the past two weeks at ML Rose, you know that if you've not been, there's going to be another one Saturday. Uh, I'll be on the call. Tim's going to be out of town, but but we're going to have the 440 sports crew there. A couple of supporters groups again with the Eastern Front and the Heaters and uh, get to know this place on 8th Avenue. Uh, tremendous burgers. This is not just your your crappy pub food. This is this is elevated <laughs> without being snobby. Um, my favorite is the the animal burger, uh, which is is just tremendous, like sauce and juicy burger, and, and uh, the buns are fresh. It, everything is just it's better than than you would think from a normal random sports bar, uh, because it's not a normal random sports bar. It's it's fantastic. It's local. Four locations in Nashville, including the one on Eighth Avenue, where my wife and I got to know each other uh, by again her proving how. Much much more intelligent she was than me. Uh, so ML Rose, happy to have them all on board. Again, that new state, new, the new stadium is only about five minutes away from that that Eighth Avenue location, and uh, would recommend that you check it out and tell them we sent you. Yeah, I uh, I have walked from from the Eighth Avenue ML Rose to uh, a, a non sponsor establishment very close to <laughs> to the new Nashville SC Stadium. It's not a it's not a bad walk at all. So. Be prepared for May 1st. You might want to be checking out that route a little bit, but more importantly, go hang out at ML Rose for these, for these home games. And if you make it to some of these watch parties with us, tag us on, on social media and tag yeah. ML Rose too. So we can make sure that, that we're, you know, excited to be part of this soccer community and that we can thank them for being part of our community with the club and country podcast. So uh, my wife is out of town right now and I went to ML Rose a couple weeks ago. Uh, she's been out dealing with some some family stuff uh, on on uh, on her side of the family, and so I've been eating um, amazingly. I've been going to all these restaurants that I love, but that we've not had a chance to you know to go recently because we have. Sounds, a, sounds like sounds like Lisa's got bad taste in food here. Is what you're accusing her? No, <laughs> she has fantastic taste in food, but but rare are the days as as you can relate with a small child that you're able to go hang out in a, yeah. in a sports bar and catch games. And I've I've taken full advantage of that opportunity. I will say though, Melrose is also. Uh, quite family friendly if if you choose to do that it's it's a nice clean bar with again the tremendous ambiance uh, check them out ML Rose craft beer great burgers and a tremendous location near the stadium and head to our watch party on Saturday all right let's hear from you let's get to the mailbag and Trevor Bryant asking if he should be concerned about the goal allowed against the loons it was a set piece goal conceded and that was uh, maybe the only Achilles heel for Nashville SC <laughs> last season. Um, Alfonso agrees. How can Nashville be so good defensively, he says, while at the same time being so bad at dealing with set pieces? Um, it didn't didn't ring alarms for Trevor, though, he says. You know, the, the way it happened was a little different than last year. It didn't ring alarms for him. Uh, for Alfonso, what do the stats say, he says? What, what, what do the numbers tell us about Nashville SC and set pieces? Well, the stats say, last year, that only Atlanta allowed a higher percentage of set-piece goals to total goals. So Nashville allowed the fewest goals in, in MLS from open play, just 19 of them. Um, but beyond that, then, they allowed 10 
off of set pieces. Uh, many of those, Tim, last year were second phase situations where Nashville defended the initial entry but then couldn't clear and kind of got dis- discombobulated in the box. And That was a little bit the case in Minnesota on Saturday, too. Conceding from a set piece is bad because conceding is bad. But I actually think because of the way it happened, I wouldn't lump it in to the same bucket as last yep. year's. I thought last year you saw way too many um, you know, service goes to intended target, intended target had to sit into the net. That's not, that's exactly what you don't want to see. If it comes to a situation where the ball um, ricochets out and yes, uh, I think Joe Willis probably could have done a better job dealing with the second phase ball. And I think Walker Zimmerman and Dave Romney were both right there and could have done a better job. But at the end of the day, it was, it was a somewhat fluky goal, you know, fluky goals count too. I'm not trying to discount that goal, but it, it seemed less replicable than a lot of the ones that you would see last year. And I would say that, you know, what you saw was Minnesota had five corners and five more attacking zone free kicks. And one of the, yes, one of them turned into a goal, but the other nine basically didn't look dangerous. It was a matter of Walker Zimmerman goes up and heads this away. Like we expect, like we expected last year. And obviously for some of them last year, he was not with the team because he was with the United States men's national team or had a slight injury. But sometimes he just he wasn't able to make that difference that we've come to expect of him. And um, for the most part on Saturday night, he did. And we'll have to see if if it was just a, a fluky situation that's, that doesn't recur. It does seem like that right now, mm-hmm. but it might not be. If it, it continues to happen, it becomes a habit again, then it's time to worry for sure. But for now, it doesn't seem like it is uh, the, the mechanism of it didn't seem like it was something that was going to be kind of replicable. Yeah, it's a fun time of year, but it's a frustrating time of year because we're, we're looking at two games worth of data. And I think you've used the phrase small sample size, maybe on every show we've ever, we've ever done. And when you have, and I have that, that's that's like club and country bingo right there. Free It is feelings ball, small sample size, hot Tim winter, of course. (laughs) Um, And and I think maybe that applies to the next question as well, or set of questions that many of you asked us. We, We highlighted two of them from six string strike, and from John Mueller, Six Strings says, what are some healthy expectations for fans to have about Ake Loba, given Gary Smith's comments on him the last few weeks? John Mueller, is two games too early in the season to be on Loba Watch? And he, and he trademarked it. He put the trademark in there. So so John has reserved all rights to the term Loba Watch. We will credit him every time it is mentioned. Small sample size, though, Tim. Two games. We seem to answer this question a different mm-hmm. way every week. But with each week that Loba doesn't contribute, I think we yeah. do see fans naturally curious. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be dismissive of the concerns, and certainly the way um, both Six String Strike and John asked was a very reasonable way to ask. But I just feel like the angst ratio is kind of out of out of whack with the actual like reason to be concerned. Every player just isn't going to play in every game. That's the way it is. And yes, Lobo was a guy that cost a lot of money for John Ingram. He did not cost a single dollar to to any fan, basically. So that's part of I think what is it's somebody else's money. It's yeah. not my, our problem at this point. The bigger issue is, is that you have Sapong, Mukhtar, and Leal out there, and I don't think anybody has a problem with the way those guys are performing. So which one do you want to take off to give Loba some minutes? Um, none of them has played poorly enough to create an opening for him at this point. He's a good player fighting for minutes. That's what you want to have if you want to have a really good team. I think three really good and more proven in this league players are keeping him off the pitch. That's It really is that simple. I think there will be a lot of opportunities for him later in the year. I think he is in Gary Smith's plans as a potential starting player on a regular basis later in the year. But until that chemistry is there and until Mukhtar, Leal, and Sapong maybe cool off a little bit, he's going to have to wait his turn and he's going to have to prove himself off the bench. Yeah, I think it's a battle of principle versus reality. In principle, 
you look at a guy who costs $6.8 million and you say, well, he should be out there every match. He's your DP strikers, your club record signing. In principle, yeah, you guys are right. Lobo watch TM, watch away. In reality, as Tim said, who are you taking out? Who are you taking out? And, and things are fine. Things are fine right now on the attack. Again, on the road, we're not going to see. We're not going to see the brightest Nashville team in the first eight matches. You all know that. We don't expect that. But even still, things are clicking decently well right now in that attack. And, and I'll tell you what. I, I want to take a second to talk about a player who was on the verge of being a bust last year. Um, he only scored once in the club's first six matches, despite having fairly high attacking expectations. Didn't have any assists in that stretch either, despite nominally being a guy who was supposed to play a huge role in the attack. He was even replaced in the starting lineup for a couple of those matches, partially due to health, but partially because he just didn't fit into the shape that was working for Nashville at the time. That was Hani Mukhtar, and we know what happened next. I don't need to tell you that he ended up <laughs> finishing second in the MVP race. I am not telling you that Aki Loba is going to step up and lead Major League Soccer in goals plus assists. I'm telling you that a roster is a fluid, evolving thing, and that Aki Loba has not played his most important minutes in Nashville. To which you guys are saying, damn right, he better not have. Uh, <laughs> was he ever going to beat out CJ Sapong, though, Tim? Glorious goal against Cincinnati. Though. That was it. That was the moment. That was it. Crown him. <laughs> hang, uh, hang him in the Louvre, as they say. Uh, was he ever going to beat out CJ Sapong, though, early in the season? I don't care how good of an offseason Aki Loba had. CJ Sapong, 12 goals from the club last year, but more importantly, a grizzled MLS veteran, leading the club on a long road trip when we know how Gary Smith loves to operate, right? Mm-hmm. High floor over high ceiling, especially in on the road. League experience, in league experience. Yes, on the road over over potential too. Yeah, which is what has elevated this club and made them so mm-hmm. good in general. Right? Is is that yeah. that experience and that maturity? Um. So so he's not going to replace CJ. I think we can establish that. All right. So then is he going to replace Hani as kind of a second striker in that four four two ish look? No, he's that's Hani. No, he's not. So then what about on the wing with Randall Leal or in midfield? Like Leal's above average at tracking back defensively. It becomes an odd positional fit in the formation. So the answer is clearly no to all three of those, right? So then your only other option is to add a fourth attacker on the field. Uh, Nashville did that against Cincinnati in the game you referenced. They gave up three goals in the first 35 minutes before shoring things up and reminding Cincinnati they were Cincinnati. Um, I do expect them to do that this year i expect a lot of four four attacker looks i think we could very easily see a four two three one look uh that that molds into a you know four four two mukhtar underneath loba Mm -hmm. sapong up top i think we will see that quite a bit we're not going to see that on the road so anybody who's saying look it's very clear that that ake is not a part of gary smith's plans or is not a priority for him i think i saw something from matt doyle on that this past weekend Mm -hmm. look i respect that we need to try to draw conclusions especially when people are covering a whole league, we can't draw that conclusion yet. And so yeah. I'm not, again, I, I feel a little angsty. I sound a little, a little uh, intense now. It's not toward either one of you guys, six <laughs> strings or John as, as Tim mentioned, perfectly reasonable questions in tone, but man, he's, he's going to have big minutes for this club this year. Yeah. And your Mukhtar uh, kind of comparison there made me think if Loba had played essentially exactly the minutes that Leal had played and, and had the same uh, production as Leal, one assist and no goals through two games, would the, would the worry be greater or less from the fan base? I think the fact that we're worrying about a guy getting minutes rather than the production of the, of the front line is, is something that's at, through a two game sample size. If it had been, you know, if the, if the road trip were over and you'd had a couple home games, it might be a different story, but I think it is just something that um, everybody wants the attack to move better. Everybody wants the reason to hope with that, you know, that $7 million transfer. And it's, that's a bigger piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. in terms of, of what the angst is rather than any lack of production or lack of playing time from Akilova. 
yeah, it's it's an opportunity cost question right now, I suppose, mm-hmm. but there will be plenty of opportunity uh, this year. Stashville, keeping on that subject and talking about the attack, Stashville says in response to a Loba question, Gary said the guys getting the bulk of the attacking minutes look, quote, bright and purposeful. Two words that are in the Gary Smith uh, bingo mm-hmm. card. Uh, pl- that was that was my editorialism, by the way. Uh, please <laughs> make me feel better, Stashville says, by explaining how six total shots on target and 188 minutes of soccer equals, quote, bright and purposeful. Good question. For me, it's about the buildup, not the product, especially early in the season. I think we should focus a little more on the word purposeful than on the word bright at this point, because I think that's what Gary's getting at. It's not bright a la Austin's 10 goals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Again, we're, we're going to qualify every time we say it. They've played since he and Miami. Uh, it's 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 bright in terms of having direction, having a sense of purpose on the pitch, having a plan. And Nashville, by and large, ex- executing, executing that plan, which is not to dominate possession. It's not to put up 20 shots a match. It's to be organized, be smart, take care of the ball, seize on opportunities, and capitalize on those chances, which they've done uh, through a couple of relatively low percentage goals, I would say, the way they, they built up. Uh, it's, it's middle of the pack in XG right now. So even though Nashville's bottom third in chances created and goals scored after small sample size of two matches, the, the creation is actually a little bit above that. The underlying metrics are solid. I think we can infer, too, going back to Loba, that at this point he would not offer that same degree of cohesion and purpose in the attack. At his brightest, he's probably the brightest player on this team besides maybe Hani Mukhtar. But again, the floor right now for him is is a little bit lower. Um, and as we've discussed, I think his best days are ahead of him, and I think they'll be at home. Yeah, to kind of piggyback on what you said there, I just want to say, like, I understand being upset about the number of shots on target, but there are a number of metrics that you can kind of look at and say this is representative of how the attack has performed. And I, I really just think shots on target is like too far downstream from what is useful to actually kind of say, you know, this is how the attack has performed so much of what an attacking player does that, that can be described as purposeful or bright is what happens before the shot is ever taken. And and the fact that the shot gets taken um, obviously shots that aren't on target can't score, but I think the, the fact that the shot gets taken is a little bit more descriptive of how the attack is operating um, then, then whether the shot is actually good or not. I know if you're describing individual players that might kind of tip the scales a little bit there, but um, another thing to keep in mind is, is like the, these weren't games in Nashville SC's uh, yet to be named stadium. These were not games against Cincinnati and Miami to, to pull two random teams out of the air that you just mentioned um, as the ones that Austin has beaten five, nothing and five, one, I believe so far this year, but these are two playoff teams from the Western Conference, two long road trips, both games played in rain. The second game played in near freezing temperatures and rain. You know, I understand wanting Loba to play. I really, really do. Yeah. But I, I think looking at what Nashville SC has done, obviously a lot of the Minnesota game, they were sitting on a lead. Um, they weren't trying to be necessarily too expansive because they were trying to hold on for a one nothing victory. And then that may not be the most exciting soccer, but it also doesn't mean that because they didn't add another goal, things were going poorly either. It's it's a matter of game state kind of affecting the way you play. And I, I just don't think that because of that, you can say that Nashville SC's attack has been, has been bad. It, it, maybe has not been good. It has not been expansive. It has not been the most exciting attack in major league soccer, but by at this stage, by, by pretty much any definition, it's been good enough. And I think that that's, that's what that's what you're asking for at this point. And what has led to that has been um, Nashville's attacking look, the uh, the four one three two four four two, whatever you want to call it. And uh, close friend of the program, Steve Cavendish, host of of Lamestream Sports, also on the four forty Sports Network. 
asks exactly how we would describe the midfield shape, Tim, in the first two games. Oh, this is okay. This is going to take me forever to explain. I apologize to people who don't like the sound of my voice because you're about to get like three minutes straight of it. If they've listened this far, Tim, <laughs> they love the sound of your voice. I think the way you would generally describe it is that Nashville has been attacking in a 4 3 3 and defending in a 4 4 2 for the most part. Um, the concept of different attacking and defending shapes isn't novel, even for Nashville SC. Um, when you look at what they've done in past years, that 4 2 3 1 that Gary Smith likes so much. Um, has often seen that attacking midfielder become the, the second striker in a 4-4-2 system defensively. They kind of drop into two banks of four and then have the, those two strikers up top on pressing or, or at least providing a little bit of pressure. What you're seeing now is, is more of a 4-3-3 with Dax McCarty playing a little bit deeper, but mostly um, as, as that midfield line, which I'm kind of surprised about because when we saw him play this hybrid role last season, he was doing it, dropping all the way back and becoming basically a true center back. Um, what, what I think is, is the most interesting part so far is, is Nashville executed the, that similar tactical philosophy in very different ways in the first two games against Seattle. The midfield was a flat three in attack with Dax in the middle. And then they would shift to the left in defense with Anibal Godoy moving out to play left wing and Randall Leal dropping to play right wing in that kind of midfield defensive four. And then against Minnesota, Dax was playing a little bit deeper in the attack. He was closer to being that center back, but was still playing in the midfield. He's been kind of a, that center back shield that Gary Smith has mentioned in the press conferences after it. And then when Nashville was defending in the half field, he would step into a midfield two and lay all instead of sliding out to the wing would drop centrally and, and kind of play not quite as a defensive midfielder, but maybe a, a bit more of a pressing kind of uh, active midfielder from the center. And you would see Godoy and Davis shifting out wide again. Um, so that's kind of a different thing. I think part of it was trying to keep Leal's legs fresh so that he could play the full the full 90 minutes was part of that. So he didn't have to move quite as much to get out to his wide position. Um, and then after McCarty left the field on Saturday night, and as he basically played just a straight 4-4-2 attacking and defending with Alex Muel at right wing and Leal at the left wing. Um, and then, you know, when Hani Mukhtar came out for Ake Loba, it was a like-for-like -like substitution as one of those two strikers. The big picture is whatever the nuances, I think what really makes the system work or these or these kind of interrelated systems both work is that Nashville's front three is often very fluid. Exchanges of position between Mukhtar and Leal and even Sapong will shift wide to let one of either Mukhtar or Leal occupy central spaces. Uh, the opponent never really knows which player that they're going to encounter coming from a, a given angle of attack. And um, the different styles of those three players, as, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Sapong is kind of that stronger and smarter kind of true nine who can control the center backs a little bit. Leal's a guy who wants to shoot from distance. I don't think I'm surprising anybody there. Whereas Mukhtar wants to run into space to get off a shot, whether that's at the top of the box or he can, he has a little bit more of a, diversity to his game where he can kind of break past that final line and try and beat the keeper one V one as well. So the fact that they have different styles and that they can kind of drop into different shapes defensively and in the attack, um, you know, attack from all three angles basically is what has made this so difficult for the first two opponents to deal with. Even if they haven't given up a bunch of goals to Nashville SC, I think you saw um, instances where both Seattle and Minnesota were scrambling and it's because those midfield shapes can, can be affected by how that front three is implemented uh, as they move into the attack. Now I need to big, take a big breath and then get a big sip of water. That's right. Then go to ML Rose and get a big beer. You've earned it. Uh, that's tremendous red meat for, for our listener base, who, again, I believe, you know, is, is adept at, at, you know, processing tactical nuggets in audio form. But clubcountryusa.com has, has great breakdowns of that if you'd rather see it in writing. Uh, and if you know us as a podcast, believe it or not, 
This was a website years and years before it was ever a podcast. <laughs> and Tim is the. Is I, the think, I think we might touch on that as well in a, in a later mailbag question. Perhaps. Maybe so. Maybe just a little bit of history coming your way. Um, great stuff. That that I don't have anything to add. We'll just move on. I think that was that was tremendous analysis of, of Nashville shape and how that's playing out. Uh, John Mueller, this is a fun one. I love when we get to be a little hypothetical. This one is really hypothetical, and John even admits he thinks this question might be galaxy-brained. It is, and we love it. Uh, in a world <laughs> oh, where Gary's... Oh, I didn't even think of Greg Vanny. <laughs> galaxy-brained. There it is. Ooh, nicely done. Uh, John Mueller, in a world where Gary is a good-to-great MLS manager, does a more notable job in England, probably the championship level, come calling... Who would be Nashville's best option to take charge or an MLS club uh, cup caliber team of an MLS cup caliber team? Um, this is a much more stable league than the championship. So we're going to, mm. I'm just going to preface everything as John did by saying, this is hypothetical. We are not reporting things. This is purely a fun hypothetical thought exercise. Gary's happy here by all accounts. Nashville's happy with him. So we'll have a lot of fun treating this question as a pure hypothetical rather than a possibility. Uh, my first thought, Tim, is is continuity in this situation. If things are going well enough that, that Gary Smith gets hired away by a, a team in England or elsewhere, um, is this a job for, say, a Steve Guppy, uh, assistant for Nashville SC, who's very strong tactically, who's, who knows Gary well, who would, who would give some continuity? Or do you think Nashville might go outside the family? Like you mentioned, I think Gary is very happy not to go back to England. Yes. Um, it, it's it's yes. his home country. He loves it very much, but he felt that he was treated pretty unfairly when he was the head coach at Stevenage. Um, largely, it kind of reminds me, honestly, of the Bob Bradley situation when he went mm -hmm. to Swansea City because Gary was American, which is very funny for anyone who's heard him talk <laughs> or knows anything about him. Um, he wasn't really given a chance when he went to go be the manager at Stevenage. But um, I, obviously, there's certainly a caliber of job or a caliber of pay that the championship can probably hit that Nashville could not. And that would be tougher to turn down for Gary. Obviously, his uh, extended family, including his parents, are still in England. So, yes. With that that you know kind of explanation of the hypothetical out of the way, <laughs> well, and I actually believe he has family in the states as well. I believe mm -hmm. some of them have mm -hmm. moved actually, and okay. at least spent some time in the states. Regardless, <laughs> as, for, as for who Nashville would turn to, um, you mentioned Steve Guppy. I honestly think he's too skilled of a technique coach to want to make him the head man. What you do by making somebody the head coach is put so much on their plate, so much broader than any specific individual um, kind of task that you don't give him time to do the thing that he's best at, which is teach players how to play soccer, basically teach them the, the nuance of it. Um, so I, I think he's an outstanding assistant coach, um, at least for Nashville. I think there's kind of too much going on in major league soccer that, that maybe a coach in, in England wouldn't have to deal with necessarily that, that you don't want to take Guppy out of his element there in terms of who would be a realistic opportunity We've seen that this franchise isn't afraid of giving someone a chance at this level. Gary Smith, I think, counts as that. He was he was hired away after a, a, a poor stint at Stevenage, as I mentioned, and an Atlanta Silverbacks team that was uh, very poorly managed or very poorly uh, budgeted, I should say, to, to compete in at the league that they were playing in at that time. So in terms of outside-of-the-box hires, would would they be afraid to get a guy out of USL? I think Neil Collins, who's the coach of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, who have been outstanding since he took the job. Um, I recall writing a preview, Nashville SC played them the week after he was hired, and I made fun of uh, hiring a guy off of the field because he started for, at, for them at center back the previous right. week. 
and then retired to become the head coach. And I was very wrong because he's been a very good head coach. Mm -hmm. um, um, Tommy Stone, who's at Birmingham Legion, um, has MLS coaching experience. He was DC United's coach from 2007 to 2009. Do not google.com how well his tenure went at my, at my beloved DC United back then. Um, but uh, if you're looking for guys that have maybe some more tangential connections to Nashville SC, Michael Parra is a guy, speaking of center back to coach, um, he, he has Mike Jacobs connections through Sporting Kansas City. He was, he was briefly a freelance scout for Nashville SC this offseason. He's working his way up through coaching. He's currently an assistant coach with SKC too. That might be too big of a leap to get an MLS job from the first assistant coach at a, at a USL gig. But um, maybe if, if you want to keep it within the Gary Smith family, rather than the kind of Mike Jacobs family, um, Pablo Mastorani was an assistant under Gary. He was a captain under Gary with the Colorado Rapids um, coaching for RSL. His, his first assistant, you may recall, is Brett Jacobs, who was a, Gary's first assistant last year. So there are some connections that you could go for if you're really looking to find some guys who, who have maybe a little bit of continuity with this franchise. Yeah. Call me crazy here. As, You're crazy, as you, Wes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I wonder if this would be an appealing project for a Jim Curtin and that would be a home run, like go all <laughs> out. Like that is a, a dream hire for sure. That's a Bob Brown to Toronto level. He of, turned down, he turned down FC Cincinnati in an instant. This offseason was it an Nashville instant? SC, Nashville SC is not FC Cincinnati, so so there's there's a bit more to sell here. Well, in my understanding, there was not not inside info, just reading up on it mm -hmm. that that it was a bit of a you know he's under contract and he's not going to mess with trying to get out of that contract. That there actually might have been some interest in going and working with new GM Chris Albright and and mm -hmm. that crew that that came over from from Philly. I think I think from what I heard, there may have been just a little bit of consideration there, maybe. Enough to suggest at least perhaps a potential willingness to leave his hometown and take a new challenge, maybe? I mean, when you're coaching in a place where you grew up, where you went to college, there are two schools of thought, right? One is, I love it here. I'm going to live here forever. It's my home. Number two is, can I do this somewhere else? Can I spread and my wings? What would be a better place to spread your wings than the place with the mural? The, was it the, <laughs> the, 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 the wings mural, right? Um, that's about as cool millennial as I get. Uh, the, the appeal for a place like Nashville would be obvious if he were looking to ever do that. And I think Nashville would if want were, to... If you, were look, if you were looking to take his picture in front of a bunch of murals, yes. Be, okay, I've changed. Would be I'm, I'm moving on. Curtain. I'm moving on now, Tip. I know you got the mental image in your head now of Jim Curtin with the, with the curly locks, you know, right in front of the wings, <laughs> right after brunch, probably at ML Rose, actually. Uh, it would be, would be a perfect place to do that. Um, I think Nashville would love to hire from within the league if they could. Um, his his tactics and the mentality demands of his team, hard-nosed, um, resourceful, could fit Nashville's personnel pretty well. Um, the appeal of, of a curtain would be obvious. You know, you, if you can pull a curtain, you'd love to pull a curtain um, and, and shed light on in this club. <laughs> uh, it would be a high price point. It'd be hard to get him to leave his home. Uh, but if, if you could, it'd be an outstanding option. Now, we're going to go back to real world. And out of the hypothetical, because Gary Smith ain't going anywhere, friends. Sorry. Uh, and, and you're welcome. It's not happening. Uh, so we'll go to Chris Hole now. Um, yes, you're raising your hand. Well, you don't have to raise your hand, by the if, way. You can just speak if you want. What if What if after the end of this month, there's a former Columbus crew coach available? Because he's, oh, I don't even, I don't even want to say it. I, don't even, I, can't, I can't say it without, without 
crawling into a hole and wanting to cry uh, for for people who don't get it. Uh, Greg Berhalter has a very important window for the U.S. men's national team coming up, and I'm joking that it's not going to go well. <laughs> oh, don't don't. But he would be a good place. He would be a good hire for any MLS team if that were to happen. Not good for my anxiety. Not good for my anxiety. <laughs> uh, please don't do that. Uh, moving on to uh, to to somebody who's makes us all much happier, and that's Dax McCarty. And Chris Hull, by the way. He makes us all very happy, too. Uh, another good question. How much is Dax benefiting from the positional changes? Since minute one of the season, he looks like a QB out there just slinging those line-breaking passes. And again, as you mentioned, going through the tactical overview a minute ago, but, but just to clarify again, Dax sitting back between the center backs and um, in, a, in a more deep-lying midfield role. He has the ability to get it forward if he if he wants to. He broke the lines and and broke... Uh, Minnesota's defense for a secondary assist in that uh, in that goal up in St. Paul. Um, how much do you think he's benefiting from from that switch? I think the big thing that he benefits from is is not having to run his legs off. And because we know if if Dax McCarty is in a position where what is asked of him is running his legs off, he will absolutely do it. So it's it's smarter at this point in the season to give him something that's maybe not quite as sideline to sideline, not quite as rage into the box and let him hit those long passes that I think people have forgotten that he, he was so good at hitting as a slightly younger player because he is nowadays so uh, apt to prove how, that he's still energetic and try to get forward and, and play a little bit more combinations. But leaving him lying deeper, I think, is a way to save his legs for later in the season. And we saw last year that um, not necessarily through fatigue, but he just wasn't as healthy as Nashville would like. And that happens when you turn 34, 35, mm -hmm. however old he just turned. Um, that's something that that Nashville is going to want to have available later in the season. I think the fact that Dax was not 100 percent in the second half of last season is something that was recognized and is uh, something that this coaching staff wants to avoid. And I think Dax wants to avoid it as well. And he's making the most of the position that he's been put in. I think it's such a smart tactical flourish to put Dax at a place where he can save his legs, but also use his vision to, to the club's advantage. I think it's, it's worked out beautifully so far. Wyatt wants a history lesson. And it's, it's a good reminder to us that we shouldn't assume you guys have all been listening since day one. The numbers tell us there are a lot of new folks, especially coming on this season. He asks, this isn't soccer related, but did you and Tim know each other before this podcast? You have great chemistry. Thank you, Wyatt. I appreciate that. Uh, Tim begs to differ, but I, I will take it. <laughs> uh, yes, actually. So, so just a little history lesson. It here. actually is a soccer question in a lot in a lot of ways, Wyatt. It is indeed. It all goes back to the beautiful game, and to December of oh lord, what are my years even telling me now? Seventeen. Yeah, I can God. tell you it was a Wednesday because it was the first early signing period uh, for NCAA football, and that made it a very <laughs> inconvenient timing for me. <laughs> yeah, and I think. For for me, I, I started a website called Golden Goal that was, I mean, just days after you started Club and Country, which is why uh, Tim is uh, the longest running journalist covering Nashville SC in his particular discipline. Uh, and Golden Goal lasted about six months. Uh, so actually launched Golden Goal the day before the MLS announcement as a way to cover the USL club and kind of chronicle that growth in Nashville. And I was kind of looking over the scene and this is all from my perspective. Tim will have his own, but I was like, okay, so there's some other stuff out there that seems like it's going to be pretty good. There's this, you know, there, there's speedway soccer, which is still around. Those guys do it, do a great job. And that's grown into something as well. Club and country, like to me, like, as I'm looking at what's out there, what I, what I respected about Tim right away, number one, his ability to, to get into tactical weeds, but still tell a story in a clear and cohesive way, which you all benefit from obviously in, in the written and audio mediums now. Uh, but also 
he would give credit to other good stuff that was out there in the market, you know, and still does. And in, in his regular blog posts and match previews, he's going to link to other coverage. And to me, as as there was a soccer ecosystem building in Nashville around this club, um, it was important to be doing that, to be giving credit and sharing each other's work and, and you know, amplifying that soccer conversation. Uh, so the funny thing is, though, that, that Tim, we really covered the club on, on kind of different parallel paths didn't always mm-hmm. intersect a whole lot. We'd see each other at your training where you were at a, a lot more than I was. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I was I, after golden goal shut down, not too long after it started uh, shout out Glenn Judah, a good friend uh, and, and the partner that started that site uh, and Andy Simmons as well. Uh, after that shut down, uh, I, I was part of the reason it did shut down was I was so busy calling the matches for USL play by play that I was covering it kind of from that angle and, Tim was covering it as faithfully, more faithfully than anybody uh, from from the journalism beat angle, and so we didn't really have a lot of occasion to to collaborate. But at least from my perspective, I always respected his work. It was a prime, you know, piece of my match prep every week, and still is. Uh, and uh, so I always respected his work. And so when the chance came to work together, it was like, well, yeah, let's go, let's grab beers and talk about this. And at MOS, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> And uh, over some over some wings and uh, and burgers and beers, a, a podcast was born. Yeah, I mean, you told basically the whole story. It, it was from your perspective. I think it was from uh, a, an omnipresent uh, narrator's perspective. It was it was very very even handed, and uh, I honestly don't have a whole lot more to add. I saw you at training on the on the occasions that you were able to make it. Uh, obviously, you have a less flexible day job than I do, so I was able to go to basically every training that was open. And um, we stood right next to each other at the at the MLS announcement, not knowing each other yet. We, right. we're sta- I was like, who's this dude with the cell phone pointing it at the screen, taking video? Uh, he doesn't have to go do a radio hit. So he gets, t- he gets a one-on-one with Don Garber. <laughs> that is the main thing that I remember about you. I, that had to have been the first time we met, honestly. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we've obviously been, uh, we've, we've become friends over the course of this and fortunately uh we were able to you know kind of turn that friendship into something where we were able to work together as well and and now we're very happy with the podcast that we're able to produce and i'm um, not only not only do i have to thank you wes for for being a very good podcast partner but but people like chris and people like john mueller have been huge parts of of our success too and and huge. we're very happy that you know what we have been able to do together has resonated with a lot of those people and, and hopefully turn them into fans of, of not just nashville sc but ourselves too because i have a huge ego <laughs> <laughs> Same, um, and, and thanks to, to Braden, of course, and, and, and he he was the one who kind of made the made the podcast uh, collaboration happen. Uh, you know, I'd mentioned, hey, if you ever have an opportunity, I'd be interested in doing something like that. But understand if you want to go with somebody else, and he was like, yeah, no, let's do it. But I want you to work with Tim. I was like, that's that's the guy. Like, that's ah, the person I want to work with. Like, Dang it. Well, I guess if you make me. But it was like, if, if there was somebody to work with, with all due respect to so many amazing people covering this club, it was like, yeah, that would be that would be great. I think we, we bring some yin and yang. Uh, I bring the feelings ball. Tim brings the cold hard facts. And, Man, and we both bring so middle. many dad jokes. We do. We do. <laughs> you guys are welcome. Um, we, we would be remiss if we didn't uh, ask the second part, which was an even more soccer-related question from Wyatt. He asked if Austin is an actual threat to Nashville SC. Too soon to tell, but I'll tell you what. If you're ranking expansion builds right now, Austin is going to rank ahead of Miami and Cincy, who still look like expansion teams in, in years three and four of their existences. I think people are are very enamored with Austin right now, as they should be. When you score 10 goals in two games, you should have 
that that should be something that has excited people about you. We'll see what happens when they are playing against teams that aren't Cincinnati, that aren't Miami. Yeah. Both of those squads have been bad. Uh, and I think Miami is, is going to be the worst of its three years of existence so far because of the way they had to tear down that roster a little bit uh, after their, their rule uh, skirting uh, <laughs> ways under the previous management. So we'll see what Austin does when the, when the going gets tough and it's about to get a lot tougher. Um, but at the, at this stage, from Nashville's perspective, it's probably good if there are contenders like that who can kind of challenge you a little bit as mm-hmm. long as, uh, you know, when the head-to-head comes, Nashville gets the wins. Yeah, good Austin's good for the league. They have such a vibrant atmosphere around that club. Let's go outside in. Let's talk a little more about uh, other noteworthy results around Major League Soccer. And, and that's really where, where it'd be fun to start. Ten goals in two matches for Austin. Uh, but again, Cincinnati, number one. Miami, number two. I did watch that Miami match. And... Uh, I was, I was stuck at a six and a half hour, hour layover, by the way, at Dulles. Six and a half Oof. hours. So great MLS watching time, but I was really cursing that there wasn't a match right after that you, one. You, were there. you so happy to be in Loudoun County, too? You're like, I'm so close to DC United's second team so here in close. Dulles. Yeah, to the <laughs> side of the 2 0 victory for Nashville SC. That actually called on TV when John Freeman was out one time. That was that was a random, but <laughs> I was, I was at, at Fox 17 Studios. And not not in Chantilly or Leesburg or Sterling. It's Leesburg, it's Leesburg, it's Leesburg. which it must be noted. Um, shout out to friend of the pod Clay Trainum, who was there with me as well. Yeah, I, w- I was in the stands with producer Lily. Which, while I'm going off on incredible tangents, uh, happy fourth birthday, producer. Lily. Hey, Lily, happy birthday! What was the theme of the birthday party, by the way? Did you have a theme? Uh, everything nowadays is unicorn. Um, that's her choice, not, oh, yeah. not mine. So, okay, well, I hope it's her choice. I, yeah. You're dictating her themes. It's it be like <laughs> like four three three soccer formations, or um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, wow, a tangent upon a tangent upon a tangent. Anyway, watch the yeah, match. I, I just I just really went on a run there. Uh, that's what we that's do. What, that's what we call that's an great. improv. Going on a run. This is outside, 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 outside in, and we're we're a couple <laughs> of yes and guys who just want to roll with it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, but but was it more that Austin is is appealing and good because they are confident? They do look good. Mm-hmm. Or are Miami and Cincinnati really truly that shambolic? I think it's I think it's more of the latter. I think it's very upsetting that um, I think you might you might mention later the the standings in our in our fantasy. I might mention MLS. Yes. Cecilio Dominguez, my man. If your team scores five goals, you have to get a couple of them. <laughs> Otherwise, Wes is going to be making fun of me at the end of every single show. Come you, on, you, buddy. You got to play Driussi. He's the freaking DP, you know, star <laughs> yeah. difference well, maker, I, listen, which I did. MLS fantasy strategy dictates I had to find some value and I, I made the wrong choice. Yeah. Well, the key, your players grow in value and you're, you're able yeah. to sign, you know, a higher cap as it goes. So my key is, you know, get the, get the guys who are going to score the bangers early in the year. And then you can, you can really go from there. Um, Colorado wakes up though. They put up three on Atlanta. Atlanta United is still trying to find itself. Good win over SKC to start the year. They go to Colorado mm-hmm. and the Rapids team that looked completely listless in CCL and in its opener against LAFC suddenly with a flourish of confidence. I think I would look at that Colorado team and say they were kind of the, what what you would call the stereotypical team that is in CCL, but maybe not talented enough to win it. And they kind of moonwalk through the first few weeks <laughs> of the season. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if they've completely turned it around by this point. But I do think they're a team. They're they're not going to win the West this year in all likelihood unless they make a, a major summer signing. 
but I think they'll be better than they were in week one. And this is a sign that they're, they're on that track. Meanwhile, the MLS Cup champion NYCFC scoreless through two matches as they try to balance league and CCL play. Anything to worry about or just the typical grind of, of trying to rotate and, and yeah, they got 32 I mean, matches? We'll, we'll get into this in a sec. But from my perspective, as somebody who is not a fan of NYCFC, I don't, I don't care if you even play an MLS game until <laughs> until CCL is over. Yeah. You will be able to make the playoffs if you just start playing after CCL ends. You'll be fine. Yeah. Concentrate on that. You'll you'll steal some results here and there until CCL is over anyway and you'll be in okay position to make a run. But yeah, from at this point I do not worry about the form of of any of the teams really that are still in CCL. So there's such a small sample size. We really can't make many definitive judgments from what is 117th of the regular season. Is there anything, though, that we can confidently say after two matches that we do know? I'm really sad that it's already 117th of the way over. I wish you hadn't phrased it like that. But the, but I think the main the main takeaway Playing here, Green Day. Hope you yeah. had the time of your life. <laughs> oh, woof. Those pipes. It's something unpredictable, think, but in the end, it's, it's, it's right. I, I think, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The thing that we can take away... <laughs> Through through two weeks, is that the teams that we expected to be bad are are going to live down to those expectations? Mm. So I don't, I wouldn't have said this before the season. I might have said it before the season, but I it's I'm now having a hard time seeing a way that Cincinnati gives its its lock hard grip on the iron or on the wooden spoon away. Um, I think Charlotte may never score a goal. They have hardly looked close through a couple games. Daniel Rios, they're good for yeah, at least like yeah, six he was seven. the closest one. Yeah, for sure. Um, San Jose has that every game with six crazy goals. Uh, it looks like most of those goals are going to be scored by the opponents uh, when they, whether they're heading to the quakes or whether the quakes are heading to them as, as has been the case. I, I just think it's so hard at this stage of the season to know who's going to be good. It is not nearly as difficult to know who's going to be bad. That's, that's very well said. Uh, CCL's back. We'll briefly hit that NYCFC taking on Comunicaciones, which is the Guatemalan outfit that knocked out Rapids in the round of 16. That will happen Tuesday night, as well as Sounders and Leon, as uh, Seattle looked great in a 5-0 win over Motagua uh, in their second leg of their CCL opener. Otherwise, they haven't looked great in, uh, in league play. Two scoreless losses. Again, they're probably not too concerned about that because they mm-hmm. are really prioritizing CCL. On Wednesday, New England Revolution actually opened CCL play against Pumas because they got through via um, a forfeit from Cavalli and Haiti. Visa issues there, um, really through no fault of the clubs, it sounds like. So New England will be um, opening at CCL action against Pumas from Mexico. And then Cruz Azul and Montreal also on Wednesday. You know, it, we're we're used to being heartbroken to the point that is it even heartbreak if it's not yeah. surprising, if it's expected? I don't know. Maybe yeah. it is. I mean, to me, you get two of those teams through. It's a really good success because it means you're you're probably NYC. You should get through, and then one out of three against the Mexican teams. I, I don't know. It kind of feels like a pretty good way to go. Yeah, I mean, CCL the actually feeling disappointment at the end of MLS's uh, time in a, a given season of CCL. It's like watching Requiem for a Dream. It's like you weren't watching that, expecting that this was going to be the time that it worked out for them in the end, right? Yeah. No. Um, it's almost okay. comforting when it doesn't. Yeah. It's almost yeah. like the world is in order. Yeah, I, I think when, when you look at you look at New York City FC and they have to beat Comunicaciones, that one is, is very simple. As you mentioned, the three Mexican teams are the ones that um, you know, historically, you would look at and say these are going to be the problems for three MLS teams. 
I would say you want to win two of those, honestly. Uh, Liga MX is, is in a weird place right now and obviously going very far outside in. Uh, the, the situation at the Carretero game th- this past weekend is is awful. Yeah. Absolutely hate to hear that. Hope hope that um, people come out of that okay. It does not sound like everybody is going to. That's just awful. Terrible. But there's there's also going to be, I think, you know, emotional effects from the other Liga MX teams. And I don't know if that's going to affect CCL, but, you know, the way these Liga MX teams have been playing has not, you know, what like, like when you look at Atlanta United making – uh, making it last year on the basis of previous on the uh, previous year's results, these Liga MX teams are not the best teams in Liga MX this year, um, for the most part. And so I think you want to get more out of out of the out of the ties against them than you would typically get. Um, I, I I I have previously said I think Sounders is, are one of the best teams in MLS, even if they haven't played like it through yeah. two weeks. I think you can take down Leon. Um, New England hasn't played yet; they're more rested than any other team in CCL so far. They should be able to beat Pumas. Uh, Cruz Azul is probably going to smack Montreal. So, so that's the one That's the one that I think is not going to go well for Major League Soccer. So I think three into the semis is a success. If you get two in, um, you live with it for sure. But you you really do want to see three MLS teams into the semifinals. The action Tuesday and Wednesday. Those will be the first legs and then second legs the following week. Uh, all right, final whistle time. And the moment that, that no one has been waiting for, except for me, and that is 440 Football League standings. Uh, congratulations <laughs> to Daryl Wilder uh, and Stinky Pigs FC. Is like an Arkansas fan? I don't know. Um, he's actually a Seattle Sounders supporter, and he is in first place in our league, with uh, actually tied with Blake Henderson's Blenderson's Big Boys. I'm in eighth, uh, 19, 18, 19 points off the pace, and not good at math. Uh, the Fish Fries, Fish of Freiburg, uh, Tim's team in 18th place. And uh, Braden Gall languishing already back in 38th of 54, but two of those 54 haven't set a lineup yet. So really 38th of 52. Um, it's all right. It's okay. It's it's early and uh, still plenty of time to uh, to captain the right Austin FC players, Tim. Yeah, and and Carlos Vela, um, you're on notice, buddy. That was your your performance this weekend did not Same. live up to the did not live up to the standards that the manager has set, <sighs> and uh, you may be seeing the bench. For for Fischa Freiburg this week, yeah, uh, that's a guy that you can you can definitely uh, trade in for some pretty good value. If you if you guys play EPL fantasy, you might be used to the fact that there's only like one one transfer allowed each week. Yeah, not the case in MLS fantasy. No. You can turn over your whole roster, and uh, it, it'll be like Gary Smith's lineups last year: thirty different lineups in thirty four matches. Yeah, that's that's about what we're looking at here. Uh, content recommendations: I'm going to be lame again and recommend watching soccer and not anything around the game of soccer. Uh, my, my specific soccer watching recommendation is watch a San Jose Earthquakes match. <laughs> As we're all kind of getting to know the West a little better. I mean, Tim and I have been following it fairly closely, but, but you know, we're all following it more closely now that Nashville's a member. San Jose plays this crazy boom or bust man-marking style that gives up goals by the bushel. It also can score goals by the bushel because they're so aggressive in, in their press they go to, to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, a team that loves to play physical pressing soccer too. That's going to be really compelling. But just to give you an idea of why you should watch San Jose. So they went down 3-1 to Columbus. Then they got a red card. They came back and scored two goals and tied the game against a good crew team um, because they just play this frenetic, crazy, throw the ball into the mixer kind of soccer. It's It's a blast. Um, it's a, a, a match as a play-by-play guy I'm really looking forward to because it's going to be a whole lot of just up and down, back and forth, like, 
poor Kelly and Eddie are not going to have a chance to talk because there's not going to be much <laughs> much of a pause in the action. Watch a San Jose Earthquake, Earthquakes match against Philly, 6.30 Saturday. Come back and report back to us. Um, Nashville plays at 7.30, so like at least watch the first half, I guess, or DVR'd or something. Uh, it is fun. You will not regret it. Uh, yeah, my content recommendation is, is as is tradition for me, not content. Not content. Uh, check, out, yeah. check out this, this uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. I had never been before. Um, it is really cool around Allianz Field. Un- unfortunately, uh, if you're a Nashville SC fan, you have missed the opportunity to, to see your team play there unless you're uh, Valer Shabilla, Eric Burke, uh, Robert Kraus, and a couple other people. Sorry to the people whose names I don't know. But um, shout out to those guys for making it there. But uh, yeah, dude, Allianz Field is great. I'm really excited to see Nashville SC's stadium open. When you, Every time you get into a soccer-specific stadium, it gives you just that itch just a little bit more. And I'm really excited to see what it's going to look like inside. Yeah, it's uh, that's great. Uh, St. Paul, by the way, kind of feels like the Fort Worth of the Minneapolis St. Paul I, area. I thought it was like, right? I was like stunned the area around it. There's like a light rail stop right out front. The light rail just runs up and down this main drag that has a ton of stuff on it, like bars and, uh, you know, cool. cultural stuff. I was very pleasantly surprised with St. Paul. I was chatting with Jamie Watson leading up to that match. I said, are you excited about your trip to Minneapolis? And he was very quick to correct me. And I know, I know they played in St. Paul. <laughs> I was just using it as the broader term for the area. You like, said the twin cities. That would have been that, that would have been more that would have been more polite. I don't I don't address Twin Cities because it reminds me of the Minnesota Twins who broke my Braves fan heart in the 1991 World Series. So I have, uh, yes. I have actually deep black resentment against that area of the country, even though it's a beautiful place. Uh, anyway, I was sick. Have you seen all these lakes they got up there? It's crazy. They got like a thousand of them. Wait, ten ten thousand of them. Ten, it's ten. I, yeah. I, I shorted them by a multi, multiple of 10. All right, we got to get you out of here. Thanks to Moon Taxi <laughs> for the music. Thanks to our new sponsor, ML Rose. Check them out. Watch party Saturday night as Nashville SC takes on Dallas at 7.30 p.m. Tim so excitedly slamming down his phone and, and actually going to go right now, it, it appears. Uh, he's heading out of here. So are we. Uh, rate the show, review, subscribe, tell a friend, give us a follow on Twitter. And uh, thanks, as always, to the 440 Sports Network. Thanks to iHeartRadio for the highlights. This is a long one. We hope you guys had a good time. We'll see you next week.